0: Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Blue Blood podcast. I am Jeremy all joined as always by Kyle Lance. How's it going Kyle? It is going
1: fantastic. The semester is coming to an end which means major major out of conference games for Big Blue Nation. So getting pumped for that and we've got some games to talk about today and just a lot of different aspects to cover about the Kentucky team but just overall really excited for this really excited for I, I liken Big Blue Nation out-of-conference games. Like, I, I think it's better than Christmas, maybe. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Uh, the semester coming to an end means that we are back. We, we took about a week and a half off for finals week. But it also means for the Kentucky basketball team that Camp Cal begins here really soon, uh, which is a big deal. It gets them into shape. It, it really is a time of year where, you know, they run three practices a day during uh, – quote-unquote, Camp Cal, and they um, it, it really gets them into shape. It gets them playing at peak performance, and really in that one-and-done uh, type of model helps them hugely to become um, NBA players in these next six, five, six weeks. But we're going to get right into the games uh, that we have, we've missed over this past week and a half or so, talking about the UCLA, UCLA Bruins game. Um, the game against Valpo and then the game against Hofstra, which just finished up now that we're recording. Um, The first game we're going to get into, which is unfortunately Kentucky's first loss of the season, is the UCLA game. Uh, UCLA beat Kentucky 97-92. All all this time since the season started, which obviously hasn't been that long, but still all this time, um, Kentucky, we've heard that to beat Kentucky – you gotta you gotta slow them down. You gotta force them to play at a different pace than what theirs is because their pace is so fast. That's not what UCLA did at all. UCLA played at Kentucky's pace and beat them. Um th- that happened in a number of ways. Kentucky didn't shoot all that well. UCLA shot very well. Um Kyle, what what was your first reaction and why do you think Kentucky lost this game to UCLA?
1: Well, I mean, the, uh, one of the major reasons, and you kind of brought a, just kind of touched on it. I mean, UCLA. Let's not get mints words. UCLA shot the ball very well, and UCLA did something we didn't think they could do. Lonzo Ball did not play well, and they still handled us. Like we, we, we in the lead of like, oh, if we can contain Lonzo Ball, then we're going to really be able to really put the brakes on this game and really contain UCLA. That didn't happen. A lot of guys for UCLA stepped up, played very well also with them, the ability to make shots also lost in that as we got lost in transition a lot in that game. And they were able to, I think defensively, we kind of had our lapses. And that was very surprising to me, considering what we've talked about this Kentucky team from a defensive standpoint, to see them play that way defensively in that game and just kind of have a bunch of lapses really confused me. And that was probably the main reason we lost that game. What was your take, a main takeaway from that game and that loss?
0: I was just shocked at how well UCLA shot. I mean, they shot over 43% from three-point range, over 53% from the field in general. We're talking about a Kentucky team that can often hold teams to 30% shooting, and we're not just talking about, you know, your your really bad teams, the scrimmage teams, the the teams that they've played leading up to this game. We're talking about, like, Michigan State, um, some really good teams that Kentucky can hold to really bad shooting. And UCLA just just shot the lights out. Uh, every single one of their starters scored in double figures. Uh, none of their players got to 20 points. It was a very good team effort. Uh, TJ Leaf led the team in scoring with 17 points. It, it came from everywhere. And, you know, Kentucky shut down Lonzo Ball for the most part, relatively speaking. And UCLA still got the job done and still shot very well. So I think that he had an off night defensively and I think that that's what it's going to take to beat this Kentucky team they also got out rebounded which you know really isn't anything new when it comes to playing good teams Kentucky's been getting out rebounded a lot against good teams this year but there's they usually still manage to dominate the game and win the game because of their pace and it, it just shocks me that UCLA was able to play at the pace of Kentucky and still win the game. Usually that pace is just too much for other teams. And this doesn't necessarily mean that Kentucky's not who we thought they were. I think it more so means that UCLA is more than what we thought they were, for one. And for two, oh, yeah. I think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing for Kentucky to lose this game. Obviously, you would have rather it happened on the road because this home loss is going to hurt them come tournament time, which is why Joe Lenardi and his – way 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 too early bracketology i don't know why he's he's already got like three or four editions of his bracketology out but in his way too early bracketology he's got kentucky dropped down to a two seed because they lost this game at home i would have rather it happened on the road but nonetheless ucla is a scary team and it's it's probably not a bad thing that kentucky suffered this loss early um you'd rather lose now than lose in march or in april so from that game going on, they had to bounce back against uh, Valpo, and they did just that. They were going up against really one of the better players in college basketball uh, not not necessarily in all of college basketball, but in like your men' majors. Um, and that's Alec Peters. Uh, he was he's a dangerous player for sure. One of the best scorers in college basketball, uh, playing for Valpo. But Kentucky was able to regroup, 187 to 63. Um, some of the big notes from that, Alec Peters did play very well. He scored 23 points. Um, Bam Adebayo pretty much led Kentucky. He led them in points and in rebounds, has 16 points and 7 rebounds. And then De'Aaron Fox led them in assists. Uh, Kyle, what did you think of the bounce back for Kentucky up against Valpo with that with that pretty easy 24-point win?
1: Well, we had talked about it before. Valpo is one of those out of conference games that you look, and that's that is probably an out of, an out of conference win that right now we really don't think about, but that's probably going to hold some weight come March because Valpo is likely going to be a contender in the Horizon League like they have been the last few years, and like you said, Peters, that kid is a he's a player and. 24 point win over a team that potentially wins a mid major team that will likely win more than 24 25 games and to beat them as handily as we did is probably a very good thing. Uh, you look at some of the stats from the game overall. I mean, like you said, Peter's 30 in 33 minutes to have 23 points and he really had a double double, he had his, but for Kentucky, obviously, bam 16 and seven awesome. Derek Willis getting in some nice – getting in two threes. That's crucial because we've always talked about the, the all-important three-point ball with this team. Derek really f- starting to find his groove in that, which is good. And after this game, I think – I don't know. Something we should I guess we should talk about is uh, the players really support, not just from guys like Isaiah Briscoe. We had heard it from the fans like you and me, but guys like Isaiah Briscoe really step, uh, stepping up and using their voice to say, like, we want Mike as a part of this rotation. Uh, Michael Mulder, obviously, is who I'm referring to there. Uh, what did you think about that? Just from Briscoe, as a, I feel like, in terms of a leadership role, and do you think it's obviously valid? I mean, we've talked about it before, but do you think there's more validity to it now with Briscoe saying it?
0: I think there definitely is, and I've been I've been on Briscoe's side, I guess to say, uh, in this argument for a while, ever since they they showed this they really started to show some three point struggles. Michael Mulder can give you a three point shot and I think he can really improve this team shooting. I don't think he should be a staple of the team. I think he should come on and and get minutes in the rotation, obviously, but um I just think he should he should get time to contribute because I think he can help the three point shooting. I think if you're playing in games like today, where they were playing Hofstra, which we'll get into later, where they were playing his zone defense, I think Mulder needs to be out there more because he can shoot, and that's what they need if they're going to play a half court offense. When they're when they're running at their best, they're up tempo and they're finishing in the lane. They they get a r- ridiculous amount of their points in the paint, but. When they're not doing that, when they have to play the half court, when the other team plays a slower pace and Kentucky isn't exactly dictating the pace, I think they need Mulder out there. They need him to be able to shoot. They need him to be able to help uh, run a half court offense. So I would definitely think that uh, they should have him out there more. And I think it holds more validity now that that Kentucky's best veteran and Kentucky's coach on the floor and Isaiah Briscoe feels the same way. Do you think that Mulder will get more minutes now that somebody like Briscoe is is vouching for him?
1: I definitely think it needs to actually be considered. I mean, I feel like Cal is already considering that to begin with, but I do think that now with more player support and just players coming out and saying it, that Cal will be like, okay, maybe we need to try this more often, and maybe we maybe and see where it goes. I mean, it's not like he can. He probably won't be snide about it. Be like, hmm, okay, let's try it out, and if it works, and he's like, well, good that you guys saw this and I didn't have to make the decision. So if that makes sense, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's the way I look at it. And I definitely think, I mean, we've talked about it since the beginning, but I I think Mike, like I I said this before, probably a well-off comparison considering Darius Miller was a four-year player, but he could be the Darius Miller type player for this basketball team coming off the bench.
0: I, we would love to see somebody have a Miller type of contribution for this team. And I think they could really use it. Um, oh,
1: can I bring up but, something oh, real quick?
0: Go ahead. Do you,
1: A question I brought up and that I've seen Kentucky fans kind of talk about um, concerning Malik Monk. And we saw it in the UCLA game. and We saw it in spurts in the Valpo game. Do you think at some times Malik Monk tries to do too much and kind of gets in a zone? Or do you think that's just Malik Monk being the player he is and you think it's good for the team or bad for the team?
0: I think that uh, Monk needs to find his find his groove. Uh, he's he's this far away, this team's best shooter, and at times maybe there's there's a problem. Like today against Hofstra, um, Kara Lawson, One of the commentators said, you know, when Monk Monk is open, whenever he wants to be open, he'll pull his three sometimes, even when he's covered, and it's not a bad thing when he hit you know seven threes at Madison Square Garden that wasn't a bad thing but he he leads his team in three-point shots taken Uh, he takes a lot of them and if he's not hitting that's not a good thing I, I just I think that he needs to work within the offense and I think coach Cal will will work on that now, if he's if he's red hot, I think you need to direct the offense around him and get him his shots. But I don't think he should be taking the ball and just making his own shots because I I don't think that helps the team. Let's mm-hmm. take on it.
1: Uh, in the UCLA game, uh, on, I feel like so, at some points Malik tried to do too much and just tried to – and this is not a knock on Malik Monk. This is just a comparison. I will say – along the lines of Julius Randle in 2014 in the early games where he tried to do too much. And then Archie Goodwin in 2013. That's the only, th- I mean, I'm not even saying that's detrimental. I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, we do not want that to become a common occurrence. And I'm sure Cal will not let that, but it's just like, I felt like when we got down, Malik tried to, we tried to shoot his way back in and yes, he made a few of those. And that, that was like, believable. And that's the kind of player Malik Monk is. And that's what separates him from Archie. But that's not something that we don't uh, we want to become a regular occurrence, obviously. And I think we'll see less of that of him trying to take over games when he feels like he needs to get us back in a game or give us a spark or whatnot. So that's my take.
0: All right. Um, as far as the Valpo game itself goes, uh, Kentucky just did its job. They played the way they wanted to play. They got out in transition. They ran, uh, held Valpo to just 34% shooting. Uh, just 26.7% shooting from the three-point line for Valpo. And Kentucky shot 46%, um, only 30% from deep. But that's, you know, that's a thing that we've seen from them. Uh, Dominique Hawkins went two for three from three-point range in that game, so that was good. But overall, you know, not a good three-point performance kind of what we're used to from this team but they did they played their way they got out in transition they finished in the paint they scored a lot of points um so they and they made valpo shoot a terrible percentage and if they can continue to do that they're going to be fine but we're going to get now to a game that uh in the beginning really concerned me and that was the game that we just watched the Hofster game um ended up running away with this thing uh winning by a large margin but there was a point where Valpo was within what like 3 points yes and that is troubling and the reason why Valpo was within 3 points is because they were they were running and that zone defense forces Kentucky to play in the half court and that's good at um they like with a ridiculous amount of their points in the paint because they run in transition and they finish with layups and dunks. So to make Kentucky uh, play a half court does not work. Yeah. huge in this game because his leadership allowed them to kind of salvage some possessions in the half court and really, um, I mean, all wasn't lost, I think, because of Isaiah Briscoe. They were able to still play decently well in the half court. It's just that they couldn't play up-tempo, and they weren't scoring nearly as many points as they're used to. Now, in the end, they ended up running away with this and scoring a lot of points. But early on, it it was troubling. And... Um, they had seven turnovers overall in the game. I think most of that was because of that half court, that zone defense that they were up against. And the second half, they were able to get out in transition. They were able to run. They were able to do their thing like they always do and score a lot of points. They still shot over 50% for the game, 51.4%. Uh, three point shooting was a little bit better. They shot 34.8%. So, um, not terrible for the three point shooting. The, obviously, the scoring overall was very good once they started running away with the game in the second half. Kyle, does this does the does their struggle against the zone concern you? Do you think that could be a problem if they play a team that's actually pretty good and runs a zone defense? Absolutely, we'll
1: probably run into some teams not only next week but definitely in SEC play and probably in March. I mean, Hofstra is a great team. I think Hofstra will be a very good – like like Valpo, Hofstra will be a very competitive team in the Colonial Athletic Conference. Been to the conference championship two years in a row. But th- when you go up against more athletic teams – because there's go- – news flash, there's more athletic teams in the country than Hofstra, which is a bad news for us. But <laughs> but uh, we're going to go up against – I never would have thought. I never would have thought that
0: <laughs> Hofstra was very athletic.
1: Yeah. So it's, you're fine. No, it, but it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the fact we're going to face that more athletic teams that will probably try to run zone. They'll probably watch this for, for tape and they will be like, Hey, maybe we can get a, get a zoner on this team. And then that's, but overall, I mean, our zone breaker, if we're actually, honestly, if you think about it, we're the perfect team to run a zone against because we don't shoot the three point ball that well. Well, I mean, we're athletic. We can probably split through the zone. But we don't shoot the three-point ball ball. Well. So if you want to really – if athletic teams want to run and jump at us and try to hold us off the three-point line, that, they're probably going to be able to do so. And that's why I get back to the three-point shot because we talk about this all the time. Our, our zone breaker is going to be the three-point shot. We're going to have to be able to shoot that three-point shot to break down zones against more athletic teams probably like Florida, Texas A&M, LSU, Ole Miss coming up, Louisville. So it's a, it's an interesting concept, I think. When you, think, when you think in the grand scheme of things, when you th- when you think, well, what, the, what what kind of problems we could face? Sorry, I couldn't get that word out there, Big Blue Nation. That was kind of funny. But when we go up against more athletic teams, it's going to be an issue, and it's really up to Cal as and Camp Cal, and these next few weeks will be really telling as to how teams will use that, what they saw today against us as like in terms of coaching, like guys like Roy Williams, Rick Pitino, if they'll use that, and if Kentucky will improve on that, because it definitely worried me. How do you feel about it?
0: It, it bothered me as well. Um, that was why Derek Willis started over Whitney and Gabriel today is because they wanted to get a shooter out there who could really help uh, against the zone. And Derek Willis did get a three-pointer in in the first half. He had five points early on. Um, if we're going to beat the zone, Willis is going to be huge. Mulder's going to be huge. Monk's going to be huge. And Briscoe's going to be huge. Briscoe hit a three today, which was a huge deal for him. Um Monk, Willis, and um, Mulder are going to have to get good three-point looks against the zone in order to beat it. And it, Briscoe isn't huge because he hit that three. Briscoe's huge because he can direct an offense that can beat a zone. I don't I don't really think that anybody else on this team can lead them on the floor like Briscoe can in order to beat a, half-court, a good strategic half-court defense like a zone defense. Now – We saw that from Briscoe today. He hit Willis with some good passes to get some good looks. One of them was a three pointer. Uh, Briscoe showed his ability to cut to the rim, even against the zone, and get some really good looks. He was very efficient today, eight for 11, uh, scored 19 points. So I I think that Briscoe is going to be key, and then your shooters are going to be key, and our shooters have to get better because Monk is the best shooter on this team. I think as of right now, if you were to put him, if you were to put Two more of him out there, we'd be fine against the zone. But I think right now he's really the only one. If we maybe had two more Malik monks, we'd be fine. Yes. Oh my gosh. We also wouldn't have lost to UCLA. We'd probably win every game by forty points. But, yes. Um, you got to get Derek Willis up. Uh, obviously, he hit a couple threes today, but he's gonna ha- he's. You've got to have more than just one guy out on the three point line that you have to account for in a zone, otherwise you're going to get killed in a zone. So if if Willis can if Willis can shoot like we know he can shoot and if Mulder can shoot well, I really think this team can beat a zone. As of right now, I don't think we've seen them play well enough in the half court to beat a really good zone team. Like if if one of the more athletic teams were to run a zone against us, like you mentioned, like Florida or Louisville or LSU, or if we were to meet like a Syracuse in the tournament, I think that we would have problems because they are good – they would be good zone teams, not only good at running the zone, but good at playing everything else. So it bothers me quite a bit that they would – or. That They struggled against the zone today, and it bothers me quite a bit thinking about them playing in a zone uh, in the future. And I also I put a poll up on Twitter, only got a few votes so far, but it, it was about um, Kentucky's struggles against the Hofstra zone. And 100%, 100% of the people that have voted so far were concerned about Kentucky's struggles against the zone. So that's, that's troubling. But in the end, Kentucky ran away with this one, and... If they can do that against other teams, if they can do that against the good teams, then maybe the zone won't be a problem. Exactly. I, I doubt. I doubt that they can. They can do what they did against Hofstra today in the second half. They went on an unbelievable run. It was like a twenty-three to six run, or a twenty-six to three run, or something like that, to so, to really set themselves apart. And then from there, it was pretty easy going. But I just don't know that you can beat a better a team better than Hofstra the way that Kentucky beat Hofstra today. I don't think you can just straight up wear them down with your athleticism and force them to play your style. I think at some point, Kentucky's going to have to beat a a half-court zone defense. Um, Looking at some of the bigger players for today, Monk had 20 points, shot four for 10 from three-point range. Briscoe, as I mentioned, had 19 points. Uh, De'Aaron Fox came on strong in the second half. We didn't see a lot from him, and I think that's because he's probably the best uh, transition player that we have. Kyle, do you think that that Fox's struggles in the first half were because of the fact that Hofstra was forcing Kentucky to run a half-court offense?
1: Absolutely. I think, Aaron, like you just said, De'Aaron thrives in transition, and he really feeds off that. When he when you slow De'Aaron down, you can see how much it affects his game, and that really, I mean, it obviously took its toll, but obviously woke up, started playing a lot better. But overall, I mean, That's another one. I mean, we're talking about really weaknesses of this Kentucky team. If you want to slow down Kentucky, really slow down De'Aaron or slow down De'Aaron and Malik. And that's, I mean, that's one of the ways you do it. Hofstra did a really good job in the first half, but like you said earlier, after mentioning us overcoming it, if we can do that against teams like North Carolina, Kansas, Louisville, LSU, that will be a true measuring stick. You really can't, I mean, Hofstra, like I said, great team, probably going to compete in the CAA, but until we – play like that until we get slowed down against an elite ball club, then I don't really know how to look at it.
0: I feel like I feel like we almost have to remind people that we think that Kentucky is a very good basketball team. We we constantly harp on them on this show. Yes we do. You know the three point shot isn't good enough. They can't run the half court offense. Um if they're not making shots, their pace isn't good. Um there if there is any team in college basketball this year that can shoot terribly from three-point range and just overwhelm everyone with their athleticism and their physicality and win a national championship, it's Kentucky. There's no doubt about that. They're so athletic. They're so versatile. The entire roster is like that. It's just that when it comes down to it, when you play tournament teams, if, if you get slowed down, you may end up having some problems. By the way, uh, just I'm looking at some scores right now, and obviously this isn't even going to be this is going to be a moot point by the time this gets posted. But Florida State leading Florida right now in uh, that rivalry in college basketball, seventy to fifty-eight. Uh, that's Ooh. one to keep an eye on in the second half. Let's uh, also
1: not let's also talk about if we're staying in the SEC. Tennessee leads North Carolina. Two teams we will both play. So eight, ten, at North Carolina, too, this is in Chapel Hill. Tennessee leads by eight near the end of the first half.
0: And that North Carolina, speaking about North Carolina, that is going to be a fun one to watch against Kentucky. I think there's going to be a lot of fast-paced basketball um, and really a lot of running up and down the floor. I think that's one that um, if Kentucky wins, I think they get right back into that number one seed area with uh, Joe Lunardi's bracketology. Um but getting getting back to the the half-court struggles, I really hope that Kentucky in games like against North Carolina will prove us wrong. I hope that they'll show either, one, that they can play the half-court offense, or two, that their athleticism and physicality allows them to not have to, and they can just run and transition the entire 40 minutes and blow everybody out. That would be great. Be fantastic. <laughs> um. That puts us through all the games that we missed uh, while we were on break. Uh, we want to talk now uh, some BBNBA because yes. who doesn't love to talk about Cats succeeding at the next level. Um, Kyle, what are some of the big-name big name Kentucky former Kentuckians that are doing well right now in recent days and weeks?
1: Uh, first off, we could talk about guys like Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, and we'll get to them. One guy we want to spotlight that is actually getting the opportunity to start for the defending NBA champions, DeAndre Liggins, folks, is starting for the defending NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. Think about this for a second. DeAndre Liggins is starting. (laughs) That is amazing to see how far DeAndre has come to be a starter on this team now and start games and be a big contributor on a team with guys like LeBron James, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving. For DeAndre Liggins to be mentioned in the same breath is amazing, and that's definitely uh, somebody I wanted to spotlight right off the bat. John Wall, 52 the other night in a loss. Um, can we start the hashtag SaveJohnWall?
0: uh <laughs> I- I remember uh, during one of, for one of my Wildcat quickies on a sea of blue, it was like free John Wall edition because he was playing so well and they were losing so much.
1: It's just he doesn't have a lot of help down, uh, well, up in Washington, I guess. <laughs> depending <laughs> on where, you, depending on where you are in the country, most of the uh, let's just go with in Washington. He doesn't have a lot of help there. So, uh, but having 52 the other night in a loss, no less, like you just said, we need the free John Wall because he did that in a loss. Uh, also, regarding John Wall, uh, there was rumblings this week that Sacramento and Washington have talked about the possibility of one or another acquiring a Kentucky superstar and DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall being on the same NBA team, and that just sent shivers down my spine because, oh man, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins on the same NBA team, uh, that's, that is is so scary, and that would be so much fun to watch.
0: Uh, we need to cue up the the music uh, "Reunited," and it feels so good. Yes. Free um, them both. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like someone should write a, a really long article or a book called "The Ides of Former Kentucky Players," because you look at all these players, these ten, ta- and this is something we talked about earlier in the year when DeAndre Liggins made the Cavaliers roster you look at some of these extremely talented Wildcats and i'm not saying DeAndre Liggins isn't talented he did so much for Kentucky while he was there but to imagine, you, you look at Carl Anthony Towns DeMarcus Cousins you know John Wall Brandon Knight and the guy in the best team position the guy in the and probably the best spot of any of them is DeAndre Liggins because he's got a great shot at a at a championship at a, at a ring and the rest of them are putting up incredible numbers. Their player efficiency ratings are through the roof. They're scoring all these points. They're getting all these rebounds. They're recording all these assists. And they're playing on terrible teams. It's and it just it shocks me. And I think that, you know, for Wall and Cousins, they're coming kind of close to their to hitting their peak. You know, they're they're getting near that point. That doesn't mean that their careers are over after that. They're gonna have several years of really good basketball past that. But they need they need to find their spot. They need to find where they're going to compete for championships soon, or else they're not going to get a shot at a you know a big championship window and then you look at guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker I think they I think they're actually in pretty good spots they're in places where the the youth movement is happening and they're they're going to develop all these players are going to develop together especially Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota um, and they they'll get a chance together but you ho- you have to hope that they'll develop and for guys like John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins I mean what what do you think about John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins going forward obviously they're great individual players but do you think they're going to find a spot where they can actually compete for titles
1: I mean if they stay in the same place they are now that's obviously not true because let's face it Sacramento has been an NBA doormat for the last 12 years and Washington's never really been more more than a second round and out team and now I mean right now they're not even they're like on the underside of the second round they're like the second round of like the lottery so not where they are now, especially, and there's still a long way to go with both of those teams. Obviously they're far and away the best players on both of those rosters, but they, it's just, I will say, I don't think the front office in either city has done a very good job of building around them as opposed to other teams building around Kentucky superstars. And there's more front offices that are doing poor jobs of that (laughs) new Orleans, but I mean, there's not a lot you can do about it, except hope that they get traded somewhere else. Or hope that they can work out a deal to where they can lead. I mean, like I said, trade or maybe like a restructuring of the contract or whatnot.
0: I can't believe we forgot to mention Anthony Davis in that conversation. The guy's like yeah, the he, best basketball player in the world right now. He
1: is. He's the MVP leader right now, folks. I'm all due respect to guys like James Harden and Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant and all Russell Westbrook, who is on another world right now. But Anthony Davis is a scoring leader right now in the NBA. He's doing it all. And he's the single sole reason the Pelicans actually have any wins this season. Cause I feel like if you take Anthony Davis away, the Pelicans have zero wins.
0: <laughs> that might actually be true. He, I think Anthony Davis may single-handedly mean more to his team than any player, other, any, any other player in the league. And that may yeah. even be LeBron James. Um, are there any other are there any other Wildcats in the NBA right now that you would like to spotlight? Uh, just a couple other tidbits.
1: You know, Carl Anthony Towns christening Jonas Valanciunas the other night on that oh, poster yes. was wonderful. That was, that
0: was outstanding.
1: And then I guess the last one is our boy Jamal Murray, the Blue Arrow, named NBA Western Conference Rookie of the Month, which is awesome for Jamal, especially after the slow start. Uh, great for Jamal very happy for him he's obviously got a very bright future ahead of him in Denver and he's going to continue shooting that arrow and a lot of other things up in Denver along with all of Big Blue Nation and we will just see how it goes next week
0: yeah speaking of Jamal Murray started off the season terribly missed like his first 17 shots and has been unbelievable since then he's he's been great he won like a rookie of the month award it's It's been quite the up and up for him after a slow start and just another Wildcat that's doing very well in the NBA. Um, I think that's about all we got for you as far as basketball goes. Kyle, you got anything else for the basketball portion of the show? Not one. All right. Uh, the last thing we wanted to say before we get off here is shout-out to the Kentucky Wildcats football team. After a dreadful start to the season, they turned everything around they made ball eligibility, they beat Louisville, they won the governor's cup, uh, which is just outstanding. Um, one of the, one of the greatest, probably one of the greatest moments, if not the greatest moment for me, since I started writing about Kentucky sports, um, it was, it was quite, it was quite the week for, for us. And, um, you know, Bobby Petrino storming out of his press conference, Lamar Thomas trolling the entirety of Louisville on Twitter, uh, the Governor's Cup being brought back to Lexington, and, you know, the big celebration that happened when they came back to Lexington, that was huge. Um, and it was just great. So we congratulate uh, the Kentucky Wildcats football team on their success this season. Best of luck to them in their ballgame against Georgia Tech in Jacksonville. Um Kyle, anything you wanted to add to the the congratulation of the Kentucky football team?
1: Uh, just very happy for them. Really happy to really see kind of a rebirth. I mean, the last six years have been rough, but starting to finally get on the upswing, especially with all that happened to have Steven Johnson and them go into Louisville and beat the Heisman Trophy winner. And also, this goes against basically everything and my religion, but congratulations, albeit to Lamar Jackson for winning the Heisman Trophy last night uh glad we could beat you on your way there so that's always great um but very good for coach stoops uh steven johnson every everybody involved this program's on the upswing and for as far as bobby petrino is concerned it couldn't happen to a nicer guy (laughs) that's all i'll say
0: i think i i think i said that a good seven or eight times in the first (laughs) 48 hours after he stormed out of his press conference, it was great. Um, I wish he would have stormed out of a press conference after being uh, snubbed by the Orange Bowl. That also (laughs) would have been great. But, um, yeah, we congratulate them. Also congratulate Lamar Jackson. Um, Sorry for trolling you so much on Twitter ever since the end of the (laughs) Kentucky game. You are definitely a talented football player. Um, We thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we will be back probably within less than a week as we try to get back onto a regular schedule for this show. And uh, we thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Find us uh, under the J&K Sports page on both of those uh, mediums. Also, follow us on Twitter. He's at KyleLance underscore. I'm at JS Cheson Hall. And we will see you guys next week.